What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera, and welcome to 305 Culture, a podcast where you'll feel the heat. Now let's get down to business and talk some Miami Heat basketball. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of 305 Culture. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Cavalier Central, Knock a Few Buck, Daily Thunder, Spanning the Spurs, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At the Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Plus, our coaching-focused podcasts, Drive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A R. Y-S-E.com. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Kenneth Wilson. And welcome to 305 Culture, a show where you feel the heat. Now let's get down to business yeah, yeah. and talk some Miami Heat basketball. Well, before we start, I know that we always begin this way. So, Kenneth, how you doing, man? You know what it is, JJ. I can't complain. I'm just blessed and grateful for the opportunity to be here to talk ball, talk Miami Heat ball, talk some national team ball, a little playoff ball. Uh, just grateful to be here, man, with you as always. Ready to get it going. Let's go. In the back end of the podcast, we have some a lot of Miami Heat talk, specifically the Team USA versus Nigeria versus Nigeria exhibition game, which Nigeria pulled off the stunning upset of Team USA. It just just comes nine years after Nigeria lost in the Olympics by... That's that motherland energy, JJ. That's the energy from the motherland. You might not know nothing about that, though. Yeah. The motherland energy. I appreciate the hell out of Nigeria, you know, due to... Aside from stats from having three Miami Heat players on the roster, just the fact that how they play... Mike Brown coached the... Coaches ass off. Um, I don't know if we're. All oh, I mean, he coached the hell out of that team, man. I mean, you you were almost not appropriate there, but he coached the hell out of the game, man. You can't. Um, you said it. There's just nothing more to say about that. And the culture, you spoke to that too. There's so much culture on that Nigerian yeah. team. But we know what kind of culture I'm talking about. But we're gonna touch on that on the back end of the podcast. Right now, we're gonna we're gonna talk some NBA Finals. Last night, we're recording on July 12th. The on the year 2021, last night on Game Three of the NBA of the NBA Finals, the Bucks blew out the the Phoenix Suns, and Giannis Antetokounmpo put himself in rare air. And of after his performance, he's got he's gone back to back, forty and ten games 
only Shaquille O'Neal and LeBron James have, have ever done that, if I'm not mistaken. So that's pretty. Um, multiple. He, he definitely joined the list of multiple people to do it. Um, but but if you're gonna bring that stat up, also throw in the fact that Jimmy Butler is one of the five people or so on that list. Oh, in the last just, just to throw that out. In the there. last 25 years, Jimmy Butler is one of those players that have done that have done at least once in the NBA Finals. So our very, you know, we gotta we gotta sneak in sneak in some Jimmy Butler in there as well. And you know, always just so so that people don't forget how amazing last year's finals for Jimmy it was for Jimmy Butler they he wait basically went toe to toe with the best player on the planet and one of the greatest players of all time so absolutely absolutely, absolutely. and you 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 can't emphasize the toe to toeness of it enough like because a lot of people discount the fact that um it was Jimmy for us and it was of course LeBron for them yeah he had help but um Jimmy put the team on his back like you would expect LeBron to do but that's not why we're here Anyway, takeaways from game three. I think I'm going to start here. You sh Kenneth usually starts, but I want to start with this one because I noticed something that I mentioned. By our, all means, brother. On, I'm courteous. You can have it today. On our finals preview, I mentioned that Phoenix, aside from maybe Aiden, does not have a clear-cut answer for Giannis. Nobody truly does. But, you know, the Raptors and the Heat showed that you can counter Giannis in a way due to the famous wall but Phoenix does not have the personnel to build that wall they do have one of the people that was part of the famous Miami Heat wall last season and Jay Crowder but they don't have the point of attack defender like Bam Adebayo to stay with Giannis whenever he's driving to the paint Aiden got in foul trouble last night and Giannis just basically went to work because Phoenix just simply does not have an answer for him. They just simply don't have anybody on the roster that can at least, you know, push him around or make him work a bit more when he's on the low block. And also, very encouraging sign for Giannis, he's not just putting his head down and going straight at the rim like he did in years past. He's actually getting in the post and looking for, looking for some, some hook shots and trying to get closer to the basket. And credit to them, I expected Game 3 to go to the Bucks due to the home crowd factor. Game 3, we, you know, Game 3s are usually, whenever the, the home team is down 0-2 in, the, in their first game at home, that, that game, unless you're a marginally inferior team, that game is usually a blow for the home crowd because it's the first game back, especially if you're in the finals, and especially if you're the Milwaukee Bucks playing your first finals since got like 1974 I believe so you know the you know that but the crowd you know you knew was going to be insane and this was just after last year we didn't have an NBA finals at the you know with crowds shout out to the Miami Heat who played the entire NBA finals without a crowd I just would have loved to have seen the AAA arena you know back then when it was known as the AAA arena explode that's so nuts, nuts. That would nice. that would have been amazing, but you know we were robbed, we were robbed of that as we were robbed of many things last year. Anyway, I think those are my main takeaways, Kenneth. Now you go ahead. Um, to be frank, man, I, you you pretty much hit on everything. I would say that 
what I see happening is basically two things we touched on as we were heading into this series and as we were beginning the series. I think we were having discussions, you know, near or right after game one or if it was right before. Um, but there were things we talked about at that point, and that is, one, I think that the Suns are deploying a strategy where it's like we can't stop Giannis. Who can stop him? Quote fingers. So we're going to try to neutralize him as much as possible, which is what you hit on with Aiden. And everybody else is going to have to beat us. We're going to let him get us, but we're going to stop everybody else. I think that's the strategy that they're um, deploying there. And for the most part, it's worked because if you take a look at it, um, Chris Middleton has had some terrible game. Well, I think at least one terrible game in the series and it resulted in a loss. If the supporting cast doesn't do just that, which is support Giannis to the fullest, then the Milwaukee Bucks can't beat them. And I think Phoenix knows that. Um, secondly, if you look at what Milwaukee has done, I think that you saw the switch in game two and we talked about it via text. Um, and it's something that really, you know, put itself on display in game three last night was they made the switch defensively. Yeah. The defensive tactics that we talked about, that that's something that they had to do because in order for them to have a chance of being in the game, they had to slow Phoenix down because they wouldn't win a shootout. And even with trying to slow them down, it's still hard to score enough points to beat them unless you're going to blow them out, which was the case last night. Now, with all that being said, um, I don't want to get too far ahead or jump the gun. Um, I still think Phoenix wins the series. Did I do too much? I still think so, too, that Phoenix ends up winning the whole thing. However, it's really, you know, I think maybe we're discounting the home crowd factor for Phoenix because in those first two games, they were lights out. And I mean lights out from deep. It was amazing. Every, you know, every time you saw the Bucs come back, they, just, they would just hit a barrage of threes or perimeter shots that you, they just couldn't do anything about. Because in game two, as we mentioned, as you mentioned before, they, did the, they, switched the, the, they switched the defensive game plan. But it just didn't matter. Now in game three, they're at home. You knew that the three-point shots and, and the perimeter shots were not going to fall in, as the same, in the same manner as they did at home for Phoenix. And even then, in that third quarter, both teams were trading three-pointers like it was, like it was, a, like it was a Harlem Globetrotters. But, you know, the difference was that Milwaukee was making the shots. And all in all, resulting in a dominant home victory for the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, what are, you, what are your thoughts? for? Not to get too far ahead. Not, yeah, I was about to say, not to get too far ahead there. You actually just brought up something interesting. And I think it's actually quite the opposite. Whereas you mentioned the impact that the crowd was able to have on Phoenix home in a way. I think that it's actually the impact that they had on Milwaukee. Now, follow me here. When... You're in Phoenix. The Suns, yes, get that jolt of energy, but you automatically feel that pressure. An example, them counting and, you know, it being loud as ever with Giannis at the free throw line. However, when you go back to Milwaukee, 
the crowd is on their side, which allows them to get into their stuff. I'm saying that. I know it sounds confusing. I don't think that Phoenix is impacted by their crowd as much as Milwaukee is impacted by their crowd. And I use this as an example of that. Last night, if you take Jay Crowder, for example, he was sinking shots. Oh, he was. So, right, he was was nailing them last night. So, it's not so much the Suns needing their crowd to be themselves as much as Milwaukee playing on a totally different tier amongst their crowd. So I do agree with you that the crowds and the stadiums have an impact. I just think it's opposite because I don't think that Phoenix is impacted one way or another by being home or away as much as Milwaukee is. Well, I'm just going to say, mention the three-pointers for game two. Phoenix made 20 out of 40 three-pointers. That's just, I wouldn't say borderline historic. 50% from D for a team on, in the NBA Finals, that's just unheard of. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. Now, for game three, the Suns shot 9 nine of 31. That's 29%. That's a huge difference for the Suns. Now, I know that sounds incredibly reductive. There were a lot of things that that the Bucks did to, to bother the Suns. They, and... The Suns are basically whenever Aiden got in foul trouble. That I think we should be talking more about the fact that Phoenix, if Aiden is in some sort of foul trouble or he, or God forbid he gets injured, they it's a, it's a they're toast because what could they possibly do to counter Milwaukee's size? Because Aiden has been. They're great equalizer. He's been grabbing offensive rebounds. He started the the first quarter on fire for game on game three. In game three. So you know, uh there's not much left for them to do if Aiden goes down. Aiden has been playing a heavy amount of minutes too. But you know, it's the NBA finals. You you just gotta you gotta push through. But I will say though that the Aiden thing is very interesting to me. And I feel like I'm going to jump ahead right here. For game four, I think the Bucks, the, the Bucks end up winning game four. And, but it won't be a blow. Mm. I, think, I think game four will be much closer because I, I think that the Suns, I mean, Devin Booker should play better, I hope. Right. Okay. Great segue, JJ. Great segue. Um, it's not apples for apples, and you just hit on something key there. You brought up that the Suns went 20 for 40 in game two. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay, that's exactly half of their shots, right? Half of their three-point shots, which is just right, ridiculous. Exact, right. Ridiculous. Exactly. So, in Sunday's game, they went nine for 31. Okay, so exactly half of 31 is 15-5. So let's say you can get to 15, which is six off of nine, right? Yeah. Right. Devin Booker went one of seven from three-point land. I'm not going to say that he makes all six, you know what I mean, of his three-point shots. Um, But let's just meet in the middle somewhere. He makes three or two. But. Let, I, I was going to say, let's just meet in the middle somewhere and say he makes three and a half. But, okay, three. Let's just do three. He's shooting 34% um, regular season from three on 5.5 attempts. So, 
Okay, let's say he makes three. So that adds three more to that. That's 12. So then you're still not quite at 50%, but you're inching back closer to the same amount of production. I said that to say they weren't that far off. In the grand scheme of things, I know that's 18 points, so I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is in the grand scheme of things, just from a raw numbers perspective, they weren't that far off. And if you add a typical night of Devin Booker's production into that equation, then they're much closer to hitting that number and likely do. Now, that goes to the smaller point in it all. How many times is Devin Booker going to go 3 of 14 from the floor, 1 of 7 from 3, with only 10 points across 29 minutes? Not much, but I will say he has had some some stinkers this, these playoffs, more than people would like to I agree. And, you know, I agree. I agree. He, go ahead. This is his first playoff run, and, you know, that that will happen. Guys, you know, the playoffs are much harder. If if people didn't know, if people have didn't realize that yet, but you know he's had he's had a couple of clunkers here and there, so I wouldn't exactly say that it's not out of the realm of possibility, but it could happen again. But uh, he's he's not that type of player to have that you know back to back clunkers like that, and. By the way, PJ Tucker has done a pretty good job guarding him. Did Absolutely, something that I told you. Some, something that I told you would be good. But anyway, we we, we won't. We won't. Yeah, you. I do remember in our when we were texting, you were advocating for Drew to guard Chris, and for P, to either slide PJ Tucker or. Chris I think Hilton. I actually mentioned it. I think I mentioned it on the pod um, on our last episode. I think I actually when we were having that discussion. Um, and maybe I didn't, maybe it was via text, but I want to say that I did. Um, because it just seemed like you were going to have to do something more with Chris Paul. Because Chris Paul was just picking you apart with the defense that you put on him because they weren't as quick twitchy enough. You were trying to attack him with size as opposed to somebody who had enough size but could stay with him quickness and lateral. Because if he can ever get that shoulder around you, like a lot of different photos or even video highlights of Chris Paul shows him kind of leaned over the defender's hip, and that's what he wants to do. If he can ever get his shoulder around you, he got you. That's if he's going to get to the lane for an open layup. That's whether he's going to make something happen off of that, take his patented sidestep, fade into the right pull-up, or whether you're going to foul him before he gets to the rim. Um, now, back to your Devin Booker stat. I understand that he has had a few lower games, clunkers if you want to call them, relative to his production. The 10 points that he scored in game three is his lowest point total throughout these entire playoffs. His next lowest point totals are a 15-point game against the Clippers. 19, he had 17, 19, and yeah. Right, he had an 18, a 17, and a 19. I mean, the 10 points, man, that's, 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 that's pretty, pretty... You know, that's pretty bad for him, relatively, um, even for these playoffs. So I agree with you. He's had games where he hasn't quite been, quote, fingers, Devin Booker, close quote. But at the same time, he hasn't been this bad these entire playoffs. Yeah, he shot under 40% eight times these playoffs. You know. I agree. More than you. I, I agree with you. But... but it, at the end of the day, in a league that has, let's be honest, trended more towards how many shots can you make if I give you 40 as opposed to make the most of your 20, 
I'm looking at totals. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but so, you know. But I do. I I I get it. I get it. You're saying he he hasn't been efficient, and I get it. But they've made it this far, and he's put up the totals. So even if you come out with poor efficiency, if you you know give me five more points, if you give me ten more, more points, points, then maybe the fate is different. different. And I'll 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 interest you in this. Do you remember around the third quarter where the Suns made that run? Actually, yeah. it was right after the Cam dunk. Yeah, they, um, they right cut it. He put BJ. They, oh man, they cut right it to four. Put BJ in a body bag. They cut it exactly. So if you have a oh, little more Devin Booker production, let me let me say something really quickly. God forbid that we enjoy a poster without a coach challenging some some stupid charge call. I hate it. Yeah, man. I hated it <laughs> because you know he was embarrassed for PJ. He had to challenge it because he was embarrassed. Because you. What the hell? If I'm the ref, I'm, I'm calling a technical and bud. You don't call a, a, ch a challenge after that. This <laughs> <laughs> is the first coach to get a technical for being stupid. Is that what you're saying? You no, know, for, for, for ruining the sanctity of the game. Because <laughs> the sanctity? Is there nothing sacred anymore? Because, I mean, we just saw a huge poster dunk and the game stopped. I mean, on the uh, biggest stage, on the biggest stage, JJ, in the NBA Finals. Like, God, Bud, what, what the, what are you doing? Calm down, calm down, calm down, calm down. Anyway, FCC, calm down. Uh, anyway, back to a regularly scheduled program. <laughs> um, the aforementioned challenge dunk, my bud, spurned a son's run that, as you mentioned, cut it to four. Now, in the flow of the game, if Devin Booker is making shots, who's to say he doesn't come down and hit a patented Devin Booker three with a man draped all over him that may or may not be called, which could tie the game or at the very least make it a one-point game. I'm just saying if he's more productive, if he's typical Devin Booker on Sunday night, then, you know, this might be a different game. That's all. Yeah, and I think that aside from Devin Booker, the – the Aiton getting in foul trouble factor was just so massive. Oh, no, definitely. Definitely. Because that, that hits on exactly what I said. You're not going to stop Giannis, but you do want to put up some resistance. I mean, you don't want to make it, you know what I mean, a walk in the park, which is what it was at times. Because, I mean, there were times where, matter of fact, we can point to the Suns' first possession in zone. And it looked as though they were successful with the zone. Devin Booker got his arm in when Giannis was trying to make the catch. The ball fumbled. But amongst all of those little guys, Giannis' size still made the difference because the length of his arms and his physical girth was, you know, able to allow him to not only push the guys out of the way using his body, but then use the length of his arms to secure the board. And I mean, just flat out crazy man dunk it on the whole entire sun zone. And he knew what he had done because you could see his body language after he did that. Yeah, for a second there, the Bucks like seemingly got confused by the zone. I I always find it fascinating that NBA teams get so they get like just they get spooked whenever somebody plays zone. Discombobulated man, because they're so used to man on man and pick and roll that the zone is like, wait a minute, did he what huh? Oh, hold on. It's frazzle. I, I don't get it either, but you're right. The discombobulation is a sound. And then, you know, a couple possessions later, Giannis was like, wait a second, Cameron Johnson is in at center. 
I can just do anything I want. They, these guys can't guard me. And he went to work and- That's who it was. That's exactly who it was. I'm sorry, it wasn't Devin Booker that got his arm in on the play. It was Cam Johnson. That's exactly who it was. So he just put his head down, went to work, and put himself in the name, in, put his name alongside some elite, elite names. Now, so man, I think you mentioned it. Yeah, we both think Phoenix is going to get it done. I think the Suns end up pulling, pulling it in four, in seven. Excuse me, but I think game. So four, you think it goes four three? I think the I think next game, which is on Wednesday, July fourteenth. That game mm-hmm. there's gonna be sparks. Because now the Suns will have ample time to counter. You know that that those the, those film sessions and the coaching staff will devise something. And you know, there's also the what? listen, Drew, when Drew Holiday's making step back threes, you you, you can just throw in the towel because <laughs> that True. I give you that. I give you that. Because you're not going to stay in front of him if he's hitting a step back. Because you're going to have to play that. And as soon as you give him an inch, acting like you're going to go out there, he's going to hit you with some wop wop and be at the rim. So, yeah, I think game four is going to But you brought up an interesting point, though. You you think that the Bucks are going to win the next game. And you also think it's going to go seven, which means that you think it's going to go four or three, which inevitably means you think that this is a home series. The home team is going to win each game. I think so. Because... The Bucks look so even. I mean, in game two, you know the the game was much closer than the final score indicates. At least I feel in, absolutely in game one and game one two. Game three for I mean, relative to I, game three I for. I don't um, agree with game one, but I feel relative to game one, game two was a lot closer than the final score indicated. I don't feel that way about game one though, but I do agree with you wholeheartedly about game two. Sorry to yeah. get you off there. It's like, you know, bringing it back to the Miami, it's like the 2012 NBA Finals. People remember the five-game the five-game gentleman sweep of the Thunder, but every game was hotly contested. Absolutely. I mean, they, they we were... We could have lost every one of those games. Every game there came to the last couple of minutes. But, yeah, you know... We, that's... But because, like you said, it ended in five, it doesn't seem that way. Exactly. But, anyway, com- coming back... That was a trip down memory lane, but coming back to the current NBA Finals, to I think Game Four will be oh very very interesting. I think it's gonna go four two. By the way, you think it's gonna go four two? So do does Phoenix win next game, or do you think they? I think so. Oh, I think Phoenix wins next game. So then you think the the Bucks win one in Phoenix, and then the Suns close it out. Wow. Close it on Milwaukee's floor. I do. I'm basing this off. Okay, I'm basing this off of what we've seen so far. The Suns just have just looked so dominant on their home floor that I just don't see. Unless it's a huge unless this Giannis basically keeps on. Excuse me. Putting, ah, put it, there you go. Putting up forty or thirty something and ten, then the Bucks will always have a chance. And if the other guys. If at least one of the other two guys steps up in a big way, we have then we, the Bucks could steal one in Phoenix, and then it gets really interesting. You get your thermometer out, JJ, and I need you to get your thermometer out to dip it in this water that I'm about to drop this take in. Bring it. It might not be that spicy. It might not be that spicy. Um, 
Is Giannis already a top 20 player ever? Oh, top 20? He's on his way. Back-to-back MVPs. Hasn't he been a defensive player of the year? All-NBA defense. Uh, Five-time All-NBA. He's 26. Right, All-NBA. All of that, Raz- he's only 26. All of that, Razzmatazz, all of that. Um, if he ends up winning, so, I would I mean, If he ends up winning, okay. We will have to do a thought exercise on who are our top 20 players. You see what I'm saying? Or, you see what I'm saying? Okay, so even if we don't go top 20, let's go. Is he definitely a top 25 guy of all time? I would say so. Yes, because if you have to debate top 20, that means he's definitely in the top 25. Top 25 guys all time are good for a game on the road. Guys like that, they are the difference alone. And that's why I think that they take a game in the field. He would be... Because when you have one of, when you have one of those guys, you do things like that. He would be in doing weight territory. Uh, I mean... Kevin Durant's already passed. I mean, you hit, you're hitting on some very pertinent examples, brother. I mean, when you're talking about those guys, and Chris Paul is there, I say, one of those guys, which is why I think they'll be able to get one in Milwaukee. So I think, you know, that will be Dwayne Wade territory, uh, maybe David Robinson territory. Ooh. That would, that would be, right? I mean, I, I'm taking a step further, brother. And I hate this comparison, but the more I watch him, I, I can't help it. He's Shaq territory, man. He's Shaq. He's, he's, he's skinny Shaq. And I hate it, but he's skinny Shaq. He's an agile Shaq. Like, a very fast Shaq. I, I disagree with that, though, because that's what a lot of people don't realize about Shaq. Like, what made Shaq so good isn't just the fact that he was 300 pounds and a freaking tank. What made Shaq so good is he was 300 pounds, a tank, and a freaking ballet. He was a ballet. A ballet. A, a ba- what, what do you call him? A dancer. He, 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 he had twinkle toes, JJ. Like, did, have you ever seen the man drop step? Have you seen the man dip in and quickly drop step, dislodge the guy, bang the whole thing down all in 1.5 seconds? He did have, have you, you seen know, him do that at based, 300 pounds? Based on the videos that I've seen, because, you know, I, was, I wasn't, I was just a, a kid when he was. Dominated. Oh my God! But talking to a youngster, get off my grass, man. Kenneth, I'm only 23, but <laughs> I know, man. I know. I know. But you know, I've, I've, you know, I do. I've, I've done my fair bit of research on NBA history because I'm, I like, I love NBA history. But I've, I've seen, I've never focused so much on his footwork. I'm gonna watch a bit more of his. You know, some, yeah, some of the and definitely start at the top, man. And and if you want to, you can go back to LSU. But he put on that weight and that muscle because that's what made him one of the best ever. But he already had freaky ability before he became the behemoth Shaq that we know with the Lakers and then later with the Heat. The Magic Shaq and LSU Shaq, like, you know, he had tear the rim off of it strength. But, I mean, the man had cat-like reflexes. The man had twinkle toes. He could move i'm telling you so that's why i i don't necessarily say more agile or more speedy at their peaks perhaps the way they got it done because whereas Giannis will rather spin around you before he hits you with the shoulder Shaq's not giving you none of that he's going going right right through you you. um Um, i think think that they they both both have the same same gifts of being some of the largest guys on the earth but also relative to that size being in the top two percent 
of nimbleness and fleet of footness. Yeah, I think. Now you really got me thinking because I hadn't really thought about it. But I guess if he wins, and he's definitely winning the finals MVP if the Bucks end up winning the whole thing. I think he's basically booked that. Definitely. He's booked that in the last two games. Unless, if he wins, he's top 20. There's no debate anymore. Like, we had to think about it. If he wins, you, there's no debate. Like, there's not saying we know where to list him. But if he wins, you have to put him in the top 20 because of, as you mentioned, his age, meaning what he has left to do, what he's already done, and the freaky talent you see in front of your face. No but, pun intended. But then that would put me, that would make me have some uncomfortable conversations about doing Wade <laughs> and where he would slide down. Isn't that the greatness about sports, though? Isn't that the greatness of sports? Because, so, brother, I'm telling you, that would make me really uncomfortable. I mean, I get it, but here's the thing that you have to do when you're having that conversation. So, over the last, let's go 25 years, the most important position in professional basketball has been the shooting guard and the small forward, your wings, right? Yeah, they basically, they, I mean, what more can you they say? They dominated the game. Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade, right. right. Kevin Durant. Even if you go Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson, he wasn't a point guard. Allen Iverson was a two guard. Um, you, you you look at those guys. Michael Jordan, of course. Did we, did we not say Michael Jordan? Mm, well, now you did. I mean, Michael freaking Jordan. Um, so you 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 give a little extra something to those guys is the point. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah. When you're ranking them in the all-time annals, like two guards – and three men, you give them a little something extra. Yeah, due to their... Unless you're talking Magic Magic Johnson or Kareem. You know what I mean? A big O. You give those guys something extra. Versatility, ability to do anything on the basketball court because... And, and impact on the game because of that versatility and how the game was built around that versatility. Exactly. So that's why I say, though, it makes you have that uncomfortable conversation... Dwayne Wade still is in there because he's the third best shooting guard of all time. Well, the only two guys ahead of him in that category are top five guys ever. Top four guys ever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the only two guys ahead, the only two guys ahead of him are the greatest player of all time and one of the And a guy that's definitely top five ever. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So when, when you're, you're having, having that conversation, conversation, I don't think that, that kick. I don't think that kicks Dwayne Wade out, out of that conversation, conversation even though it might make you say, if I had a choice in their prime, who am I taking, Giannis or Dwayne Wade? Now, that might be the uncomfortability, but I don't think it necessarily kicks Dwayne Wade out of the top 20 if that's what you're hitting at. I can't believe we got to this point. Uh, when, hey, look, man. Look, when, did we, when did we get to this point in the pod? We we didn't discuss this. And he's, not even, and he's not even coming to Miami anymore. So, like, we have to be brutally honest right now. Wow. I hadn't really thought about it. You know what? In a, in a, you're, you're over there going through it, man. I can hear the agony and the pain in your voice when we speak on this topic. Yeah. Well, listen, you know what? For a later episode, and whenever we're in the dog days of the offseason, we definitely have to do our top 25 players we'll of do all it. time. We'll do it. Because we'll do it. we're having a cameo appearance on the, on the show. Anyway, let's move on to Team USA versus Nigeria. Nigeria pulled off a 
super upset over Team USA. I know it's an exhibition game before we make too much out of it. We, yeah, we know that Team USA is basically not complete. But props to Nigeria, man. And props to our very own Gabe Vincent. He, he was basic. He was shooting it. He was shooting it lights out in the in the game. He finished. He was the leading scorer in the game. What what a game it was for him. I want to talk about you know. Let's talk about the three the three guys, Precious, KZ, and Gabe Vincent. Now, KZ didn't score in the game. I know that you know the the people are. You know I'm I'm a KZ believer. But you know, let's be—he his offensive game is not there yet. But defensively, I see the potential. And Mike Brown touched on this before the game, and how he called them—he he called he said he had defensive player of the year potential. Now, am I? Do I agree with him or disagree? I'm just gonna stay as a neutral in a neutral position on that because. Mike Brown's the one who who has coached him the last couple of weeks, and he sees him every day. But I really want to see, you know, people talk about the Heat needing a point of attack defender. What if we already have one in the roster? What if KZ is that guy, and we just haven't given him enough playing time? Now, due to his length and foot speed, I believe that KZ could could become that type of player, similar to a. I'm not going to say that he is like him. Similar to a Jonathan Isaac. Long arms, very tall, but he's nimble enough to stay in front of guards and forwards. And can he, you know, Isaac, Isaac is a bit taller, so he can maybe guard a bit. You, what? I have to come in here. That is my direct comparison for KZ. Um, he reminds me a lot of Isaac in that he has a diverse skill set and he's not just tall, but he's long. Now, hopefully, um, and based on the look of his body, he's a little more, uh, what's the word I want to use? He's a little more uh, hmm, securely put together than Isaac is. And, uh, you know, a lot of Isaac's injury situation has been circumstance and, you know, freak injury in sports. But at the end of the day, it still happened. And KZ, you know, might put himself in some of those athletic situations and might not end up injured as Isaac has. So that's all. It's not a knock on him. It's just an unfortunate situation. But still, it is what it is. So based on KZ's body, he looks a little more securely put together than Isaac. But that's actually my direct um, comp for what I think he brings to the table. And, yeah, it was displayed in the game, KG's offensive game still needs to come a long way for it to be at least NBA level because it's, it's not great. I'm just, I'm just going to say that. However, on defense, the guy guarded Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, and in the final possession, he denied the ball. He, he just denied the, the heck out of the ball for to Kevin Durant. And Team USA, you know, that final possession was, was really weird. I thought Levine should have shot it sooner, but he, you know, should have shot it. I, I should say, but he didn't. So, but I'm not making too much out of this. Well, what in? Do you have anything to say about this game, Kenneth? Um, my main thing there, bro, would be 
I think you touched on it. All three of the guys in this game, whether it be Gabe, whether it be Precious, whether it be KZ, this is exactly what they needed. Um, their ability was on full display in this game because they were playing. Um, in the regular NBA season, the Miami Heat deploying their best players. It's not these guys yet, so they're not playing as much. And not only does that not allow us to see exactly what they can do in a decent allotment of minutes, but it doesn't allow them to develop the way they should. So this is actually the best experience for them because not only does it, you know, help give them confidence and help them sort things out in their game, it actually gives them real playing time and it's development. Um, at the end of the day, these are all of the things that I've been preaching for the past season about these guys. Um, to the T on what Mike Brown said about Precious is that he's quick, he's athletic, he's explosive. And my exact words, and I think I've said it to you, whether it be here or via Texas, he's not a power, power guy. He's a quick power guy. Yes, he can muscle it and throw it down on you and don't stand in front of the rim, as Mike Brown said, or don't be in front of him, as Mike Brown said in one quoted piece. Um, also, you can tell that to Kevin Durant. At the end, Absolutely. Oh, because he knows. He knows personally. Um, you're not who they say you are, as Precious said. But anyway, um, it, it's just one of those things, man, where we're seeing what playing time can do. And they're showing everything we knew they had because they have the opportunity. And this is only going to be great for the Heat because at the end of the day, either they're going to bring these you know, developments and assets and newfound tools back to the Miami Heat, or the Miami Heat is going to be able to use this as a showcase. And hey, look, we we got this. You want this? You want some of this? You you, you might be interested in a little bit of this. Hey, you see what's going on over there? Hey, that's us. You want some? What you got? I mean, so at the end of the day, it's all great for us. I'm happy for those guys. Um, Team USA definitely has to tighten up, but they got beat by the better team that came out more ready to play. Um, and, you know, culture, man. Culture. Motherland culture, man. Shout out to Gabe. Shout out to Precious. Shout out to KZ. You know, Gabe came through and led that team. Like you said, KZ defended everybody, including Greg Popovich. I mean, Precious <laughs> blocked the whole gym. I mean, come on, man. Look at the Heat pups. Stand up, Miami Heat pups. Culture. Now, love it. Moving on to our, and by the way, Team Nigeria is playing at, right now, as we're recording, they're playing against Argentina. So, absolutely, and definitely something we're going to keep up with um, throughout the national team season, especially with the already, as mentioned, and definitely nailed on heat flair to that Nigerian team. So, go Team Nigeria. I'm rooting hard for you guys. You're def definitely watching you because, man, it was a joy to watch you play. Now to the other side because there's another Miami Heat player, a uh, more high-profile Miami Heat player on Team USA. And that's our... Yep. And he's actually Nigerian, by the way, which is the irony in it all. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, he could have played for Team Nigeria, but, you know, he chose for team he chose to play for Team USA. I understand he, he was raised in, in, in the United States. And, you know, absolutely, the, absolutely. The chance to play with all those guys, you know, that's I understand. Whatever. It's undeniable, bro. You definitely get it. You're playing with the best talent in the world. But anyway, I liked how Bam played. He attacked the rim. He got some really nice passes off pick and rolls, which is which is something that 
I hope to see Kyle Lowry doing with him next season. Hey. But he was attacking the rim. And there, but there's something really weird that I think that now that I think about about this Team USA team, you know, Team USA team, that was redundant, but Team USA. Do they have a, a pure playmaking guard on the roster? A guy that just... Nope. Right. Because Devin Booker nope. is coming That's over. That's an easy question. And I knew you were going there. I knew you were going to go there. Devin Booker is coming over. And that... Drew Holiday is coming over. And none of those guys don't exact, exactly screen playmaker to me. Although Drew Holiday has shown some really nice playmaking. Yeah, he can... He can, but in 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 the in the category, you know, in the categorizations of players, um, that's not what you consider him. It's like when you look at um, an example. If you say Damian Lillard, what comes to your mind? He's a scorer, scorer, super, exactly. superstar scorer. When you say he's a superstar scorer, but he's a scoring guard. When you say Russell Westbrook, what comes to your mind? <laughs> Just intensity, but you know, score. Yeah, he's nuts, but no, he's a scorer, right? He's a scorer. Um, he'll, he'll, you know what I mean? He's the type of guy that'll cross his mother up to get a basket if that's what it took. He's nuts and you love it, but he's not a pure playmaker. And when you think Drew Holiday, um, you think defender. That's what you think. You think lockdown, lead guard, defender. He can get you, you know, 15 points, seven dimes, six boards, but you think lockdown defender, right? Exactly. Which he is. is an extremely good one at that. But Absolutely. He's locked down. When he's right and when he's on and when he can focus on one guy, but but um, he's not a playmaker or not the highest level of playmaker. He can make plays, as we've alluded to, so not to knock him there because he can drop dime, but he's not, you know, he, he he's not Chris Paul, for lack of better terms. I mean, but who is on that level? I'm just saying they don't have a guy that they can count on to say, hey, come out here. I'm going to put you in the position to get you a bucket seven out of ten times. And six out of those ten times, it's going to be so easy that if you don't convert, I'm going to pull you out the game myself. Chris Paul does that. Which brings me to the question, is Bam Adebayo the best playmaker on team, like best playmaker in terms of passing, setting up his teammates? Would that would that be him? Would that be the him best? Him or Draymond? It has to be, right? Which I think is fascinating. Him or Draymond? I think I would pick I don't, I don't want to sound like a homer, but I, you know, I can't pick. Understandable. You can take Bam. I want to. I want to okay, take. I want to. Right. I want to take Bam. That's where I am. Right, because that's where I am. If we're talking about, you know, who would I take as an overall player? It's Bam because he offers you more size, athleticism, whatever, whatever. But if you're talking about from a pure playmaking big perspective, I can be sold on Draymond there because Draymond is just as good a passer as Bam, if not better. So that's why, it's like, if you go, I can't pick, I can't be mad. But at the that. thing, the thing but about no, it's either Draymond or Bam, though, as you were alluding to. The thing about Draymond's playmaking, an aspect of playmaking is you you need to be willing to shoot when the defense is telling you to shoot. Draymond. Well, you could be saying that about Bam or Draymond, so don't do that. Well, I will say that Bam might be a more willing shooter than Draymond because, or at least uh, he can mm. knock them down because Draymond, he's just. I was. See, now we're going to have a debate there, JJ, because I'll say capable, but I won't say willing. I'll say this. Draymond might not take the mid-range jump shot, but he's going to drive hard as hell to the rim and make you foul him, 
you're going to either give him the open layup or you're going to collapse and he's going to kick out to one of those many shooters. Bam's going to run from Brooke Lopez and pass the ball. Oh, man. Come on. I mean, there's no necessity. Yeah, I did it. I it's, said it. I said it. There's no, I said it. There's, there's no reason for this. It's unnecessary. I said it. Yep. You shouldn't have did that. I mean, no, man. I, I know I'm being hard on Bam, and that's because we're hard on Bam because we know he's great. Um, I just disagree until Bam consistently shows me that he's going to attack, whether that be with the mid-range jump shot, whether that be to go tear the rim off of the backboard as he should be doing 75% of the time, bam. Um, even when Brooke Lopez is standing up under the rim like a landmine, bam. Um, he has to show us that until I can, you know, say that he's that. Because again, while he's more capable of taking and making the jump shot than Draymond. I know Draymond's gonna make the right play. Whether that be taking that wanky little jump shot or whether that be driving hard to make something happen. Bam's gonna do the dribble handoff, which also is something that you brought up earlier, which is something I'm seeing a lot of on social media. That's really pissing me off for lack of better terms. You hit on this and you emphasized it for a reason. The same reason that everybody else is. He's getting some nice pick and roll passes. Well, he gets some nice pick and roll passes during the regular season. If the Dawn philosophy wasn't to dribble handoff 90% of the passes, then maybe somebody could feed him on the road, but he doesn't roll because he's dribble handoffing. Or he's, or he's the guy, the guy on the pick and, pick and roll. roll. But when he when does, he does pick, pick and roll, I can name numerous occasions where Gorn has fed him for a nice lob, where Jimmy's hit him in the pocket. And that, that, that crap, ooh, frustrates me to no end because it's philosophy. We've had guys capable. And by saying that there has been no one to make that pass to him, you're doing what we've been guilty of for the last several seasons with him, and that's letting him off the hook for not being as aggressive and tentative towards the basket, looking to score and make something happen for his team as he should be because he's too damn good not to. Now let me off. I just hope that he listens to this because that was something. I hope he don't because oh. I'll never get an exclusive if he hears that. I'll <laughs> never get an exclusive. I love you, Bam. I love you. Also, you know. I, I was just being honest. Also, suppose you listen to that because, for one, the the dribble handoffs just just doesn't just come from Bam. They tell him to do that. You're right. Well, see, and that's why I made sure I say that the strategy. I'm not saying that Bam does it on his own. Um, it's definitely something that's you know deployed by the coach, and it's a that and I and I wrote that recently. All you can heat site expert do a lot of reading for that. Check us out. Do a lot of writing for that. Check us out. Um. I said that to say, I do think that we should cut back on the dribble handoffs, although we should keep them in because they're a large part of what has helped to make Duncan who he is. We should keep them in, but it's becoming too predictable and mundane for defenses, while at the same time, Bam is a good enough player where he should be able to, hey, I know the play is called for a dribble handoff, but there's an open freaking lane right there. If I fake this handoff, which he does, but you know, Kelly is the one that Kelly keeps it a lot and Bam has done it. But if he just takes it upon himself, which he should be because he is that good and because he is a star player and because, hey, we've paid you like a star player and not that I'm in his wallet as much as saying, hey, you know, you're a star player. Make that happen. You have the freedom to say the hell with the play. 
the hell with the dribble handoff? There's a lane. There's open rim. There's me. There's tearing it off of the backboard. That's what should be happening, JJ. So I agree with you. That's a play that's being called by the coach. But as a star player with as much talent as he has, he has the freedom, the privilege, and the damn right to break that play. Ooh. I think there's – that was quite a lot. I, I think I – I don't know if I can say anything more other than Team USA's next game is tonight against <laughs> Australia. <laughs> I'm sorry, JJ. That's funny. That was funny. That was funny. You had nothing else but to wrap it up with the, with the, with the blasting of the schedule, huh? Yeah. Team USA – Can you tell I've been holding on to this for a long time? Well, judging by the, you know, the the passion that you displayed when addressing the situation, I guess you do. So, you know, good for you for getting it off your chest and, you know, that's Thank a- Thank you, man. There's more room out here than it is in there. There's more room out here. There's more room out here. I appreciate your patience there. But go ahead, go ahead. Team USA. Anyway, Let's Team USA- continues their exhibition games tonight against Australia. The Olympics start on July 23rd in Tokyo, Japan. And, yep, you know, I think that's enough on Team USA and, and Nigeria because we're going to be discussing Team USA as well as Nigeria because Nigeria is officially, uh, they're, a, they're part of Heat Nation now. Right. I did like a Heat D-League team. That's not disrespect to them. They're a great team, and they're on the level of national teams, not disrespecting their level of play as much as to say they're doing us a great service because a lot of our young guys are getting developmental practice there. So not a knock by saying D-League team because they're a national-level Olympic team representing a country. That's not what that means. That just means that a lot of heat pups are getting some valuable and much-needed developmental time as a part of competing and trying to bring a goal home to Nigeria. You see the way I clean that up, JJ? Or as WAB, Worldwide WAB, as you know on Twitter, he meant he said that Team USA lost to the Miami Heat's low management lineup. So <laughs> Basically. I mean, there was another tweet that said, um, Gabe, Precious, and KZ really just beat Bam, KD, and Dame. Wow. Yeah. Also, those practices – in training camp are about to be very fun because I know they won't. Oh win. yeah, definitely. The guy, the 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 young guys won't let Bam live that down. But anyway, oh no, Bam, and and Spo's gonna be in on it. You can bet. You can best believe that Spo's gonna use this. Anyway, let's address uh very quickly. We've already touched on this, but last week a report came out that the Miami Heat are among the teams that are interested in acquiring Colin Sexton. And this is not out of thin air. This is what's reported. I don't remember who was the source. I I, re, I think it was The Athletic. It was the reporter. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to mess it up. But yes, apparently it's real. Not the unsubstantiated rumor that we thought it was. There are some Definitely some conversations that have been had around Colin Sexton. Now, Kenneth, I know you feel very strongly about this, so I'll let you go ahead. I mean, man, look, if 
the Miami Heat are comfortable giving this man the extension. If the Miami Heat are comfortable building their offense around him, if the Miami Heat are comfortable and potentially not being able to maximize what it is that Jimmy Butler has shown to be able to do since arriving in Miami and what we all have watched Bam blossom into be able to do as playmakers. Um, if you want to negate all the progress we've made with our shooters and with the ability um, to get those shooters open via the dribble handoff, that dastardly dribble handoff and ball man movement, ball movement, man movement, as the Heat emphasized so greatly with their philosophy. If, 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 if all of that stuff is true, then you do the deal. The thing is, none of that is true, though. I don't think any of that is true. I don't think they should be willing to give him the extension. I don't think they should be willing to build their offense around him. I don't think they should be willing to sacrifice what they've been able to build with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo over the years for him. Um, and I don't think they should be willing to sacrifice the strides that they've made as a shooting team, ball man movement, um, you know, to bring him in. Because Sexton is shown to be a guy that is capable of getting it done offensively. However, the way he gets it done is by pounding the rock. So while he could continue to blossom and develop into a guy who could get it done while also bringing the best out of his team or allowing his team to shine and bring the best out of themselves, that's something that's going to have to happen over time. And it's also a chance that you take by trying to make him that player. If you're going to give up assets to land him and then pay him the money that it's going to take to keep him, you want to minimize the risk as much as possible. Yeah. I he's listen, I mentioned it before, I'm not opposed to him coming here, but he's not by far not my preferred acquisition for this offseason because you know, it brings the issues that you mentioned. The he the fact that he doesn't move the ball. I I just the only thing that I can that can be justified is the fact that he he's three uh, a scorer and that he's really young. He can score. But that's really it. However, the fact that he's really young, I guess you could take a chance. But the contract extension is what really, really scares you're me. You're locked into him. Because if him, here's the thing, though, man. You, you're locked into Bam as well, right? And Jimmy. And Well, Jim, right. Jimmy's up for an extension, and you're going to do that deal. There's no world where Jimmy doesn't get another extension. We're, we're, we're clear on that, right? We agree on that, right? Of course. Right. So if you're going to lock your, you're already locked into Bam. And if you're going to lock yourself into Jimmy, why would you lock yourself into a guy who at his best does it the total opposite of the way they do it at their best? Also, that will be close to 90 million on three guys per year. That's a lot. And, you know, and you and you be committing to that for at least the next four, unless a trade happens, and that's without counting since you know Colin Sexton's salary is so low right now that you can basically still have cap space to sign a a big free agent or you know not a big free agent but a pretty big free agent like say Kyle Lowry. You okay, that, that will cool. be that will be a significant amount of money invested into this season 
and next at least. So you have absolutely. So uh, listen, I know, I don't know, Pat. I don't know Pat Riley. I don't know the the Arisons, but I guess if Pat tells them, maybe he could sell them on the idea. But I, if I were Mickey that, Arison, I would be really hesitant on paying the the luxury tax on a core that consists of Kyle Lowry, Colin Sexton, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo. But see, that's just the thing, though, man. I don't think Kyle Lowry and Colin Sexton can play together. They're both small. Um, Which and I, I know that's I know that they that's can... without that's without bringing those issues issues to the fold. That's just right, and that's what I was. That's you're just, just talking financially on the surface, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I was just saying, like, just to take it deeper than that, like, you know, why would you even set yourself up like that when you're asking for other issues like the one that I just highlighted? Um, but even with that, man, let's say you do bring him in. What do you have to move to get him? If you if you trade for Sexton, Tyler Hero's gone, right? Oh, Tyler Hero, that's the that's the floor for, for Cleveland. To right. That's so the starting offer. Here's the thing. Exactly. So here's the thing: you lose that resource. Who's he's 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 your most valuable asset right now. And he's a so cost-controlled asset for the next two seasons. Absolutely, bro. And my point with Tyler Hero is always this: at his floor, which is what he is at now, he's Lou Williams. He's Lou Williams esque. How much disagreeance do you have with that? Maybe in the production that he brings, yes. Not his playing style, obviously, but the the production right i'm just saying in the manner he, he gets off the bench and he's going to give you a microwave he's going to give you a quick 12 to 14 off the bench now yeah right yeah okay so that's that that's minimally what you're going to get a rotational guy in the nba which is valuable guys like that so you're going to guys like that, that tend to have low careers even at, at his floor right they, they play 10 to 15 years just off gp man because they're comfortable in the, they know who they are like they don't have to be the star so they won't cause a bunch of fruckers and they're not the end of the bench guys so they won't be struggling to hang on to a job somebody's going to call them every offseason if they aren't already locked into a three or four year deal because of a smart gm could see that so what i'm saying is you don't trade the guy who's a valuable piece of not only the assets or the resources you have but he's a valuable piece of the product that you actually put out on the floor for a guy that you're gonna have to pay if you keep him, that you're not sure you'll want to pay, and that also might not fit what it is that you think you want to build. And that goes back to your example of the Kyle Laurie, Colin Sexton, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo core. It's just so much going on there that you run the risk of stranding yourself with something that you absolutely can't do anything with. Yeah, I think I think that will be all regarding the Colin Sexton thing. Let's just see how it unfolds. Draft night is getting closer, and I expect the noise to be louder by then. Because Absolutely. When draft night, some deals always go down. Anyway, I think that will be... Yeah, that's all. Let's see how Team USA keeps on playing and how Team Nigeria keep, keep on doing. Right now, as soon as we finish, I'm going to go and see. We'll see if I can catch some of that Nigeria-Argentina game. So, anyway, Kenneth, this was a good episode. A great episode. So, 
Thank you for listening to a 305 Culture Podcast. Subscribe to our subscribe to wherever you get your podcast on Spotify, Apple, wherever really. If you can leave a five star rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 305 Culture Pod. You can also you can also follow us on TikTok at 305 Culture Pod as well. You know, let's see continue let's continue to enjoy these NBA finals and go team Nigeria. See you next week. Bye-bye. Let's go. Thank you for listening to the 305 Culture Podcast. Subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 305 Culture Pod. Wear your mask, keep your distance, and watch the NBA. See you next week.